Good morning. We were beginning to wonder this morning if anybody was going to show up. I was teasing Pat and Bethany. Charlie had just stepped out and was coming back, and I said, it looks like I'm going to be preaching to just four sinners this morning. Glad we could find a few extras. <clears throat> if you'll open your Bibles, as Pat said, to Hebrews chapter 10. We'll be picking up where we left off, uh, essentially looking at uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 15 uh, through 18. In order uh, that we remember the context of these particular verses, I want to begin at verse 11. It says, Every priest stands daily, ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us for after, saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws upon their heart, and on their mind I will write them. He then says, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. Let's pray. Most gracious and kind Heavenly Father, as we come uh, for the sake of our Savior to exalt him, uh, Lord, to lift him up, to see him uh, in the fullness of his glory and his light, Lord, we ask that you would this morning... Bestow upon us the truth of Jesus Christ and him crucified, Lord, that you would uh, shed heaven's magnificent light upon the text of Scripture, that we may see in it our Savior and his great work upon Calvary's cross, Lord, that we would consider the weight of our sin and the even heavier weight, uh, precious is it, the weight and the blood of Christ that has paid for these sins, Lord, as we read the text this morning that has uh, created from uh, his perfect righteousness, uh, an expiation of sin, and a forgiveness, uh, Lord, where there is no longer any remembrance, Lord, a true sanctification that accompanies the redemption of man, where we uh, simply uh, consider the awesomeness of you, O God, as we think of the things that you have done for your people, Lord, that we would sing, we stand in awe of you, that should be uh, the continual song of our mouths and our lips, Lord, the awesomeness of God, the wonders of his creation and of his salvation. Lord, we pray that you would uh, show us this morning the intricacies of our Savior, that he has indeed condescended as a man, Lord, and as he has come as God in the flesh, he has truly removed uh, the stench and the stain of sin as we will enter into everlasting life lord to know that what christ has done no man or no power can undo lord and that is uh, a great powerful thing that he has done and that is a, a great and wonderful thing that you have done for man lord that you have considered him in his sin and have still spared him lord we just thank you for that Lord, we pray that you would enable us to worship in spirit and in truth, Lord, that we would see the testimony this morning of yourself, your son, 
and of your Holy Spirit, Lord, to consider three persons in one, this triune God, testifying of one uh, miraculous feat, and that is the victory over death and sin. Lord, we thank you for it. Lord, ask that you would bless us. Lord, give us this day discernment of your word that we may know and that we may discern the Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're looking at Hebrews chapter 10, and really uh, our intention is to see verses 15 uh, through 18. We don't typically cover that many verses, but uh, I believe that these things are so connected this morning that I will attempt uh, to, to look over all of those that we may see uh, the truth and the perfection of Christ uh, for the believer uh, in his death and in his burial and his resurrection uh, that has been revealed to us from the, really the beginning of chapter 10 as the fulfillment of God's will that Christ would come, that Christ would die, that Christ would uh, remove sin. And that is really the evidence that we have before us this morning, the testimony that we see. Uh, we'll start there. Again, in verse 15, it says, And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us for after saying. Seems to be uh, a short collection of phrases there uh, that lead into uh, chapter 10, verse 16, there where we are seeing a remembrance of those things testified in the Old Testament. Uh, as we're reminded of those things that the prophet would uh, share with us, the very word of God. But it is not simply just leading into that. It is reminding us. It says, for by one offering, in verse 14, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. That is the, the basis and the stake of the claim by which verses 15 and 18 will build upon this morning. We remember that there is now one offering. There is perfection for all time, forever, and sanctification uh, listed for those people of God. Now, because of that truth, we began to see what is uh, uh, revealed and unveiled in verse 15. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us. Well, we begin with a preliminary assessment uh, from verse 14. Uh, the Holy Spirit is testifying about what? Those very things that we read. One offering perfection for all time those are sanctified we have the offering of christ we have the perfection uh which is included with that uh, and is a uh, really a byproduct of that sanctification that is listed thereafter but he has perfected he has perfected the offering itself he has perfected the means of giving that offering he has perfected uh that which is offered and he has done so forever for all time specifically for the church it says that for those who are sanctified and that is really the basis of the preliminary assessment that we uh, see in verse 14 that there is uh, this building block laid for us that the, that the Holy Spirit is about to testify of or that he is testifying of the basis is that Christ has been the one sufficient offering. This morning, if we leave with nothing else from the text, it must be that Christ has been an all-sufficient offering, has been and remains to be an all-sufficient offering. That details the eternality of Christ's saving power, that he is able to save both past, present, and future any who believe in his name. And that is really the basis 
of this Christ in whom we believe that he is so powerful that he being God in the flesh, he can come as a man. He can live perfect as the text describes. He may go to the cross as the Father has willed and he may perfect saints by his death. How does he do that? Well, the Spirit begins to testify, it says. Testifies uh, and we ask three questions of this. To what does the Spirit testify? And this is not just uh, a simple point, though it is. To what does the Spirit testify? The Spirit testifies to essentially all that we have read about Christ. Uh, as the Holy Spirit here is uh, accredited with testifying about this perfection of Christ, about this sacrifice of Christ, we see that it is not simply one testimony in Hebrews, but we, what we know of the Word is that the Word of God is the truth of Jesus Christ in the flesh that is revealed by the Holy Spirit from Genesis to Revelation. And so what we see is to what the Spirit is testifying of is to that work of Christ, both on the cross, after the cross, and before the cross. To what does the Holy Spirit testify? A sacrifice prepared for men and women before the foundation of the world. Essentially, that is what we see in the Old Testament. The preparation of God in sending His Son. He testified of it uh, through prophets. Of, and, and like Hebrews says in the very first chapter, in various ways, many portions, diverse manners, uh, with visions, with dreams, uh, with donkeys, we, we think of so many ways that the Lord has in some way testified, in some way prophesied of, uh, prophesied of the Christ to come. So this morning what we see is that there is a witness of the Holy Spirit uh, that is testifying to what? And that is the work of Christ. The work of Christ. That means that this work must have uh, within it the efficiency to save man with one sacrifice. Now, not only is it testifying to the efficiency of the sacrifice, but it is, if it is, a, uh, if it is testifying excuse me, to the efficiency of a single sacrifice to save from sin, then simultaneously it is offering, offering as well a witness to the majesty and the person of Christ, the deity of Christ. For it can only be by a man who is not mere man, but who must be God, that we can find perfect righteousness. For how can this be a sufficient sacrifice if it is not holy and acceptable for, before God? And that is what we saw last week, that this is the Son in whom He is well pleased. And we see many testimonies of the pleasingness of Christ before the Father. So here when we see to what the Holy Spirit is testifying, he is testifying of a sufficient sacrifice, but he is also at the same time testifying of a sufficient eternal Christ. Very important dealing with the person of Christ, what we understand about this Jesus. Is he a rabbi? Yes. Is he a priest? Yes. Is he limited to those offices? Absolutely not. Is he limited uh, in his life that he is dead and we can't find his body? Some people think that. Some people think that this Christ uh, was simply a rabbi, was simply a prophet, was simply a priest. Finding their own form of Christ who is less than deity, who is less than God. And that is not what the text uh, proposes. The text proposes in the threefold witness here uh, that is culminated with the witness of the Holy Spirit this morning that the Christ is eternal, that the Christ is eternal. God, that this Jesus, though being man, is truly God. 
He's able to offer of himself a sacrifice that is pleasing before God because he knows what is pleasing. Think about what it would mean if you're trying to find something to suit someone whom you do not know. This is where the person of Christ and the intricacies thereof are revealed to us, that he is God because he knows what was pleasing. Uh, anybody in here could, could come up with this example, but I think Barbara is the best. Can you imagine uh, a real estate agent trying to find you a home? They think they know what you want. They think what is pleasing, but what do we know happens? They bring you to this house. They take you to this house. And then they show you this one and that one. And what they do is they have to show you many to find one that suffices. That is not what we see with Christ. He knows the kingdom and he, he knows its ruler. He knows its maker. He knows the Father in heaven. That is why he is an all-sufficient sacrifice. That is why he is well-pleasing because he can go one time to the Father. He knows exactly where to go, exactly how to come, exactly what to present to save man. Not only to save man, but to bring glory to God. In fact, that is, uh, again, the revelation of Christ's life. Not only that he was perfect, but that he was well-pleasing because he was presenting to God himself to do the will of God. Let us not forget that when we consider salvation, when we consider the witness of the Holy Spirit this morning. It is not simply that man may be saved, but that in man's saving he may take up his cross and that he may follow the Christ insofar as he is uh, fully dedicated to one master in heaven, and that is the Father, that we do like he has the will of God, that we think nothing of ourselves or our own selfish desires, but only what he has given us in his word to declare the Christ and to exalt him, to worship him in spirit and in truth. So first and foremost, what we see uh, as we see the testimony of the Holy Spirit, uh, it says the Holy Spirit testifies to the work and the person of Christ. The work and the person of Christ, the pleasingness of Christ, the fullness of the Godhead bodily, the sacrifice that is all-sufficient, of whom would be the second case? Of whom is declared in the two what? Uh, he is testifying to the sacrifice of Christ, but he is testifying to the person of Christ. Whom has saved us? Whom may receive this morning uh, the uh, attributed credit for saving man? It is not a decision. We will not worship a decision. Even... Uh, the best uh, of Arminians will never worship a decision, not truly, at least not admit to it. We will not say, uh, worthy is my answer to the gospel. No, we will not. The Holy Spirit testifies of whom? A Christ. Not a question, not an answer, but a, a Christ. A son who is well-pleasing. A God who has come in the flesh, who has lived perfectly, who has learned obedience through suffering. So we see that the Holy Spirit is testifying to what? To a sacrifice of whom? To the Christ. And how so? Well, this is where it gets uh, very, very detailed. How does the Holy Spirit testify? Well, we consider this morning that the direct implication is that he is confirming what we have read up to verse 14. He is confirming what we see quoted from the Old Testament there of the prophet in verse 16. A covenant, a law on the heart, 
and on the mind. He is testifying their household of the Christ because he is he who has fulfilled this. He is testifying how so because he is detailing the fulfillment of Christ uh, doing God's will. Not only doing God's will, but saving God's man creation. Not only doing God's will and saving creation, but living holy and righteous. How is the Spirit testifying? Because he's telling us of all those things. Now we ask the question again. How is he testifying? Through the Word of God, declared uh, from the beginning. The Spirit is revealing. The natural man comprehendeth nothing. Not a single drop. But the Spirit reveals. It is, I've said many times to quote uh, one of my favorite pastors, it is the will of God that the Word of God Use the Son of God to make the children of God look like that Christ. And that is what the Holy Spirit is testifying of from the very beginning. The written word is never declared to be the thoughts of men of themselves. It is never declared to stand alone uh, as a single sinful man's idea or perspective of the Christ. Yet it is revealed to us that the Holy Spirit has under the inspiration being himself God given to man this word. So what we see is how has the Holy Spirit testified? Because he has given to man from Genesis to Revelation truths, bits and pieces, intricacies and, and all of these things that detail the work of Christ, the life of Christ, the birth of Christ, the prophecies of Christ, the eternal creation that is attributed to Christ both uh, in the Genesis account, and again revealed to us in the first chapter of Hebrews. So what we see is our preliminary assessment is verse 14, that for by one offering he has perfected for all time, and the truth is being, uh, is being again resounded by the Holy Spirit, being affirmed in verse 15 by the Holy Spirit, as he is testifying to the salvation of men through the one sacrifice of Christ, of Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of David. And we began to think of all of those titles that belong to Christ, um, many of which have been revealed to us from the very beginning of Hebrews. And how so? Through the Word of God, to the inspiration of man's hand that he may write down so that God may preserve this Word. In essence, when we ask the question, how so does the Holy Spirit testify, we must simply look down this morning at the Word that is before us. How does the Holy Spirit testify? Well, first of all, He has uh, provided you a place and ears to hear. And working ourselves backwards, He has provided uh, a preacher. He has provided a Bible. He has provided a building and a place. He has provided uh, many disciples before us. He has provided these apostles and these prophets to write down these words. He has provided a voice from heaven, be it uh, after Christ, as Hebrews declares, uh, a voice that is only evident in the pages of Scripture, that which has already been heard by the apostles, or it be the voice in times past by which he would uh, give in visions and dreams, and the direct hearing of God's voice. We think of burning bushes and such. We think of the mount. 
we began to see all of the ways that the Spirit is now revealing to us how so this Christ has been this one perfect offering. Then it doesn't even end there. It says the Holy Spirit also testifies to us. The word testifying, we must look even more deeply with it as well. What is testimony? Testimony is simply a witness. Testimony is not a hearsay. This is not the Holy Spirit uh, declaring something that he himself has not been witness to. Indeed, now we began to see that if the Holy Spirit may serve simply as it says here in verse 15 uh, as a testimony. He is testifying. Then we begin to see again uh, those details of a triune God because how else can the Holy Spirit tell us about a Christ who was before all creation if he was not there? There we have evidence that our God is a triune God existing one God in three persons because he's known the Christ after the cross. He has known the Christ and has ministered to him leading up to the cross. He has known the Christ as a babe, and he has known the Christ before he had come into the flesh. And more importantly, the Spirit has known the Christ before the creation of the world. We begin to see the power of this testimony because it is of an eternal Holy Spirit. An eternal spirit who, if he being eternal, must be God, who therefore has all the knowledge of Christ, not lacking one detail, revealing to us what is willed of God in the word of God, but knowing even greater than what he has revealed. How is this true? Because simply this is one God in three persons. He is a witness. First, uh, as we consider in, more, in, a, in a lighter way the witness that is the holy spirit the testimony thereof we first see that we have in chapter one the testimony of the father beginning with the very first verses god after he spoke many portions many ways in these last days is speaking through his son here's the testimony of god he has declared that this is the glory and the exact imprint the the representation of his nature this is god the father declaring who Christ is. He said he's above the angels. This is God the Father's testimony. This is important as we consider the witness of the Holy Spirit. And then we see in chapter 10, Jesus the Son and his testimony. Verse 5. Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. This is Jesus declaring God's will, his purpose, and his intention, not only for man, but for the Christ, being very man himself. He is revealing to us this Son in the same way that we just discussed with the, with the Holy Spirit, the, an intimate knowledge of the Father. You have not desired. You have not been pleased. He knows because he is God. How does Christ know what is pleasing? Because it is pleasing to him as well. In the very like manner, we ought to take on, as the Bible says, the same mind of Christ. If we know what is pleasing to him who we serve, should we not as well do it? 
So Hebrews chapter 15 is not only declaring uh, the perfection with a threefold witness culminating in verse 15 of Christ's perfect substitutionary death, but it is also revealing a living model for the Christian in that we ought to as well look like Christ and be pleasing before God because we know what is pleasing to him because Christ has shown it to us. Because Christ has revealed it simply in taking on human flesh. That God condescended as man, yet was and is and remains perfect. For that reason, we not only have a revelation of who Christ is, but a revelation of who the saints will be. And that is what is declared uh, as we begin uh, to look at the end of verse 14. That he has perfected for all time, and he has sanctified it, it declares for the church it is not only a picture of who christ is but it is a model for the church verse 15 this witness revealed in the father now in the son and knowing what is pleasing and knowing that god listen he's even detailing god's plan of salvation and that you have prepared a body for me not only a literal physical body that christ would come into the flesh but more importantly he has prepared a church and we'll see that as we progress this morning. And then now we see, verse 15, the testimony of the Spirit. Testimony of the Spirit. Three witnesses. Three witnesses in the past, in the present, and into eternal life, the future. Three testimonies declaring simply one thing. For by one offering, he has perfected. He has perfected. And we may leave for all time those who are sanctified because perfection insinuates and insists that what is perfect cannot be improved upon. It cannot be made better. And it will last because it's perfect. We say in this life nothing is perfect because nothing lasts. God is so gracious to us because he says one offering he has perfected and then he tells us with basically synonyms about the perfection of Christ for all time eternal those who are sanctified being made perfect I mean he tells us again and again about Christ do you see the work and the testimony of the Holy Spirit is revealing over and over and over the perfection of Christ the righteousness of Christ the holiness of Christ now we ask the question, the Holy Spirit has testified to what, to whom, and how so as a witness testimony, what is the intent of the Spirit? What is the intention in the Spirit testifying? Well, first I want us to, to consider something here as we move forward. Uh, we will soon see uh, that this is for the church. This that the Holy Spirit is doing is a reserved work for the fold of Christ. That makes it altogether unique. Not just anybody has access to this witness. And though it be present in the words and the pages sat before us, it is not available to those who are not being sanctified, to those who who are destined for destruction. We, be, we begin to see this morning the mercy and the grace of God that we may see and hear and even feel 
the effects of this Christ going to the cross, we know. We have assuredness of faith because this has been a witness that is just for us. God is so concerned with each one. And we ask, what is the intent this morning? The intent of this testimony is to reveal Christ through this witness. First and foremost, that must be the very first thing that we consider. What is the intent of the Spirit's testimony? To reveal Christ. To reveal Christ. If we open our Bibles for any other reason than for the revelation of Christ that leads to the exaltation of Christ, we open in vain. If we assemble for any other reason than for Christ to be revealed, we assemble in vain. If we sing and call ourselves worshiping, and if we give and if we are serving in the church or in the community, if anything that we do be apart from revealing Christ and desiring to see that revelation, we do so in vain. And we'll see why pretty soon because the revealing of Christ is not uh, the ultimate result and purpose of the work. Though it may essentially see that, you guys are probably freaking out right now. The intent of the Spirit is to reveal Christ. How so? To see His fulfillment of everything that God has declared. What we see here is that the Holy Spirit is testifying, is serving as a witness to those very same things that God the Father and God the Son would declare to us. That is to see the fulfillment of what the Father said before the Son came, to see the efficacy of the Son as He comes to fulfill what the Father has said. So what we have is we have essentially the setup of the Old Testament and our moving to the New Testament. God has declared, but it has yet to happen. Jesus has declared all the way up to the point that it happens, and the Spirit has declared that it has already been finished. So we see the revelation of Christ, the testimony of the Spirit, because of His fulfillment and the efficacy, that is the efficiency, the ability, and the, and the reality that Christ has done now we ask first what is the intent of the spirit culminating i, I would say to a greater de uh, a greater degree of completion we ask what is the intent of the spirit and what is the purpose of his work what is the purpose of his work when it says and the holy spirit also testifies to us the purpose of his work is to cause men to believe how do i know that well, because we have that basis, that foundation that we just set up, that this is a revelation of the Spirit, the Spirit that only the church has access to, not, not the unbelievers of the world, but the Spirit who has been given as Jesus leaves. He says, I will send to you a comforter. He is comforting us because we need to be comforted. How can man be comforted? Man may not be comforted by his own uh, understanding uh, of how he may be righteous may it be through works may it be through giving none of that has ever comforted man we continue to look for righteousness because we have it not well then we ask the question again what is the purpose of his work to cause us to believe and to cause us to be comforted in the revelation of christ 
the reminding every week when we open the Bible that no matter what the text is, whether it be Genesis chapter 1 or whether it be uh, the description in the map at the end of our Bible, that it must declare the goodness and the sovereignty and the efficacy of Christ's one offering. What is the purpose of his work? That we believe. How can he comfort? Because he is not reminding us of what we are lacking, but what we have in Christ. Quite simply put, when Jesus said, I will send to you a comforter, he was saying, I will send to you one who will constantly remind you that I am sufficient. We can find no other comfort than in Christ. There is no other comfort than Jesus the Christ. He says, come to me because my yoke is easy, my burden is light. He says, I will give you rest. Why is that? Because the Spirit is testifying the comfort that we have in Christ's salvation. So what is the purpose? To cause men to believe, to cause redemption. How? Through less regeneration. Notice that, again, this is for the church, that the Spirit is testifying of Christ that we may believe unto salvation that we may believe unto regeneration uh, in all truth these things seemed if we tried to put them on the timeline they happen sort of simultaneously but what we know is that god must be first working in the heart and he must make new before we can respond to the gospel with yes i believe yes jesus is lord the answer of the tongue is not of men proverbs says but it says, it is of the Lord, it is of God. Chapter 16, verse 1. To cause men to believe uh, through regeneration in seeing what? Again, a reminder, one sufficient sacrifice. The purpose of the Holy Spirit's work is to reveal Christ and to remind us that He alone is sufficient. He alone is well-pleasing. These other offerings didn't work. And that is what chapter 8 to 9 has declared, that there was this old system. There was an old sacrificial system. There was an old covenant. But he's got a new covenant and acted on better promises with a better mediator, with an everlasting prophet after the order of Melchizedek, a sufficient sacrifice. So we've seen the intent of the Spirit, the purpose of his work, and now we see the results of his work. What is the result of his work? Some may quickly answer the result of his work is salvation. And I would say we are simply not looking deep enough. The result of his work is praise and worship, glory and honor and the exaltation of Christ. The Spirit has done everything that we have seen up until this point. He is testifying of this one salvation of this one sacrifice he is resounding what the father has said and what jesus himself was preaching when he took upon himself the body of man he has intended to reveal christ through this testimony he has shown us the fulfillment and the efficacy of his salvation the purpose was that we would believe and that was to result in worship and praise glory and honor exaltation if we leave here with but the first two points we actually have no points at all if the result of reading the scripture is not that men and women bow 
this side of heaven and declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, then the Spirit's testimony has not been heard. Quite simply put, I said earlier that uh, this relied upon our understanding that this Spirit is testifying only to the church. In one sense, not so much because he's testifying boldly to all the world, but the, the truth is that there is a threefold witness here culminated in verse 15 uh, of chapter 10 of Hebrews, a threefold witness that is in itself, by its nature, a matter of truth. It's not up for debate because it is here, it is truth. And the important part resides after it says the Holy Spirit also testifies. It is revealed to us uh, the depth of God's love, it says, to us. To a particular people group here to uh, the Hebrews in its immediate context. But uh, as we understand from chapter 8 moving to on to chapter 10, that there was not only a literal Israel and there was not literal Hebrew people, but there were those who were circumcised of heart. There was spiritual Israel. There are those uh, who were both Jew and Gentile who will see uh, the efficiency of Christ's sacrifice. It says it here, to us, the already before we even knew it church of God, those whom the Father had given him before he had even come in the flesh before one man was created from the dust of the ground there was the church to be and it was given to christ those chosen the elect the predestined as the bible declares them to us what must me what must we take away from this that the testimony of the holy spirit is to the church and that foolishly the world has not heard it it tells us the depraved nature of man and that the Spirit is here testifying and the world is declaring the Father's testimony is not enough, the Son's testimony is not enough, and we will not even hear the Spirit. The natural man cannot comprehend. The Spirit is testifying the third fold, if you will. The reality is that our neighbors and our friends and our acquaintances will not know that this Jesus is the Christ because they're unwilling to hear the testimony. Can you imagine what it would be like if you were accused of something, and we've all had it happen to some degree, but you went before a court in the United States and they refused to hear witness testimony? I would declare to you this morning that we will hear many testimonies of many false gods, many false Christ, and we will entertain the media and all that they have, all that the world has to offer, and here is the only witness left to what God has done in eternity past, before the creation of the world, to what Jesus was doing before he took an earthly body. Here is the Holy Spirit ready to testify of these truths, and we will not hear. The Bible says they have ears and will not hear. We ought to be concerned, church, that this is, uh, this is a revelation and it is special because God has caused us to hear because we would not. God is causing us to be righteous because we were not. God is, and this is why we say it this way, He is making us to look like Christ. He is making us 
And no matter how you put your spin on it that he is making, listen, he did so with the work of Christ. That must be the, the foundation of no matter how you believe uh, the response to the gospel. The fact is that if Christ did not go to the cross, no one would claim to be Christian. Therefore, in his making of the Son to take a body, in him insisting, in him appointing, as Hebrew says, as a prophet, and a priest, and a king, appointing as a sacrifice a lamb of God just like he did in times past a ram caught in the thicket no one can say anything other than God made that lamb if we are consistent we will see at every point that God has made any of the redeemed of the Lord Jesus Christ to look like the Son, and he is to be accredited for it. Again, uh, the end is the result of that work of the Spirit, that he may receive the glory and the honor. Verse 15 is packed with theology, deals with the deity of Christ, deals with the, the deity that is God, who is sovereign and control over everything because man is wicked and depraved unable to save himself or anyone else and then it deals with the mercy of god the grace of god the ability of god in christ as a sufficient sacrifice basically this text does not include any man except god only one man jesus christ and in him is the ability to save and the ability to sanctify, as the text has previously declared, insomuch as the, he will sanctify until perfection is reached. This is an eternal Christ. And then it goes on, verse 16, uh, for the quote, it says, This is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws upon their heart and on their mind. I will write them. And then he says, and their sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. What, remember what the text is saying, that the Holy Spirit is testifying that God said that. And now that God has done that, that this Jesus, go back to verse 14, the Spirit is testifying that by one offering he has perfected those who are sanctified. He has done so because this Jesus is the covenant. He's telling us, there was a covenant, and you've missed it. He's talking to, remember, he's talking to Hebrew people, but uh, essentially he's as well speaking to the masses of the wicked who would pick this Bible up and respond appropriately to the gospel. He's saying, listen, you had a covenant. You say you're looking uh, for a better covenant. He is it. Jesus says, these are, these, these are they that testify of me in John. This is the covenant. And it says again, I will make. Not only did he make, but he sealed it in the person of Christ. He completed it. Legally, he obligated himself, this very God, to expiate the sins of man and to uh, impute his righteousness to. When was it? After those days, says the Lord. He was present, the Spirit. I will put my laws upon their heart. Again, he is making. He is doing the work. And on their mind, I will write them. And this is said not only of the Father, but this is accredited to Christ's fulfillment. Then we arrive at verse 17, which I think 
deserves uh, at least a very small amount of our attention. It says, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Seeds, uh, sins and lawless deeds. Notice that he doesn't say, and this is very important, notice that he doesn't say, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more, and I will remember their righteous deeds. Do you get why that's important? Because there has been none. There has been, on the account of mere sinful man, nothing righteous. Because if there had, he would say it right here. This would be the time to bring it up. This would be the time to bring up man's goodness. This would be the time that if somehow we could outweigh with goodness our sin, this would be the time that God would reveal it. But he does not because that is not possible. You cannot undo sin. The wages of sin is death. We cannot undo it. There is only God and Christ, and here's what he says. Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. And this does not say that God is somehow setting aside his omniscience. That he is no longer knowing that you committed sin. This is why even uh, if, if you adhere to the King James, that even the uh, commentators, uh, we can go back hundreds of years, even they understood that the King James did not render this uh, as great as it, it should have been rendered. It doesn't say, I will not remember in the sense that, uh, that he will forget as if he never knew. But really, uh, the word there, I won't even attempt to say it, is that he will not remind and he will not bring up that sin anymore. Not only is he telling us about the goodness of Christ, a sufficient sacrifice, but again, he's revealing to the church her shortcomings, her lack of Christ-likeness. Why? Because we don't forget anything when it comes to sin, do we? Especially somebody else's. It's a reality that we all have to deal with. I'm reminded every day of how many times, though I'm called to be just like Christ, I don't remember what I promised somebody I would do 10 minutes ago, but I remember your sin from three years ago. We do. The Bible says that this Holy Spirit is testifying here so that we may be reminded of Christ. And it says, their sins, this is a group. Consider that again, their, to us, revealed in the previous verse, their sins, the church. It's considering it even, even formerly, their sins, as if they were past. Because they are, because uh, Corinthians is true. Therefore, if any man believe in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are new. Their sins, their lawless deeds, not only will he not bring them up, but he will, where sin once reside, place the righteousness and the holiness of Christ unto uh, perfection through sanctification. And then he says, lawless deeds, I'm replacing those with a law written. He says, in your heart. And on your mind. Not only is he removing what is terrible, but he's replacing what is perfect. Man, he's more than any surgeon. 
they can remove some cancer and it may come back. But what Jesus is saying here, what the Holy Spirit is revealing is that what he removes and cuts out that is carnal and that is decaying and that is uh, not beneficial unto eternal life, he is replacing with that which is. Which that, that which will increase the fruit of the word, the substance thereof, the salvation of Christ, their sins and their lawless deeds, I will not remind. He won't remind you, and he's not going to remind himself because Christ paid it all. We sing it. Jesus paid it all. I will not bring it up again. And it's not because there's a debt still owed, like with the former. Consider that. We have all these sacrifices and then one time a year, we have that another sacrifice reminding us of the sinfulness. Well, didn't we give sacrifice throughout the year? Of course they did. It wasn't sufficient. It wasn't meant to be. It was meant to point to Christ. Pictures and shadows, as the Bible declares it in Hebrews, to see the fulfillment of Jesus. And then ultimately we arrive at verse 18. Now, where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. You don't have to come again. You don't have to be baptized every time we have vacation Bible school. You don't have to get dipped under every time you sin and you think that you have fallen short because this text is declaring that you shall continually see you're falling short and you shall continually look into the Christ. It says, where there is forgiveness. This is not a question. I know we think where, and we th always think question. This is not a question, but this is an implication of this one offering from verse 14. He says, there's one offering. He's perfected for all time. Those who are sanctified, and the Spirit is testifying to the church of this. Their sins and their deeds are remembered no more because there is forgiveness. That's what the where means. Because there is forgiveness. Not the possibility of forgiveness. Not, oh, I forgot to ask for forgiveness. I missed out on it. I had somebody tell me that. Just y'all, You guys may remember. Uh, just a, a couple years ago, it, it was, uh, uh, I can't remember the man, but I, I do remember he was a fine believing man. And uh, he said, well, you, you can't be forgiven if you, if you don't ask all the time for forgiveness. And I, I agree with that to some degree. Uh, I said, you mean you think if you died and you forgot to ask for forgiveness, you'll be in trouble? He said, he said, uh, yeah. And I said, well, what do you do if a man has a flat tire and he's out changing it on the side of the road and he, he, just, he just got a flat tire? He probably said some curse words and a truck runs over him. Was the sacrifice of Christ not good enough? And the man was reminded, of course it is. Where there is forgiveness. What God is saying is when he removes the old heart of stone, he's replaced with forgiveness and with Christ's righteousness. And nothing will take the place of that. Nothing is going to evict the righteousness of Christ in the life of the believer. We are encouraged by this text. And we are indicted as well by the text. Where there is forgiveness declares that there is a everlasting forgiveness because there is an ever-sinning human being. That's important. That's good in one respect. Because if by some uh, form of the imagination we'd think that God has designed it, that we become perfect simply because we profess that Jesus Christ is ordered, that we become perfect this side of heaven, we'll do just like any other 
uh, Jew of former dead. We'll forget about God. He'll lead us out of the out of captivity into the promised land, and we'll soon forget about him. On the way there, we'll forget that he has delivered us from our enemy. Here, the text is reminding us that there is forever forgiveness, but that is in the midst of forever sin this side of heaven, and that Christ is sufficient. And it is there just as sure as we say that Christ is risen. Forgiveness is there doesn't rest upon us forgiveness of these things it encompasses all of sin all of lawlessness all of deeds period he could have just said and their deeds i will remember no more because everyone was sin every single one he says there is no longer any offering for sin he's not saying that that offering that is in place is not sufficient he's saying there is no need for anything else that Jesus is enough. It, we sing it again. I love the hymns. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me is what we sing. I believe that the text of Scripture is bearing that out for us this morning. Sins are entirely, completely blotted out with Christ. And as I said so many times, not simply forgiven, but paid for. Nothing's better than that. We like when a debt is forgiven, but when it's paid for, that means that we stand with good credit. You know, there's a difference. There's a difference. If it is just simply forgiven, well, we're seen as someone, well, we had to write that debt off because he's no good. But when the debt is paid, and it says the debt is forgiven and he's good of christ and his righteousness it's amazing uh that that people would separate uh god into dispensations and to say that this is a dispensation of grace and this is something else let me just tell you from the moment that god created we have been in a dispensation of grace god is dispensing grace even more so, even more today than he has in the past because we are aware of sin. This morning the text declares that we better be aware of the sufficiency of Christ's one offering. To us is the testimony. To the church. This is not for everybody. This is for you to be reminded. And this means, guess what? This is to you who just got saved yesterday to be reminded that Christ is sufficient. And this is all the way up to you, Pastor, to remember that Christ is sufficient. Why? Where is our sin? Our sin is in failing to practice what we preach, failing to trust when we tell everybody else you got to trust in Jesus. The, the purpose this morning is just like with that serpent in the wilderness, to look to Christ and to never lose that gaze. Let's close in prayer. Father God, as we... Uh, consider your word this morning Lord. we thank you uh, god that you are able to do with one drop of the blood of the perfect son what rivers of blood of animals could never do god if if we could examine under a microscope the blood of christ we would see that it would be sufficient to cover 
a universe full of sin. What a magnificent thing. What a miraculous deed of an almighty God. Lord, let us declare this day the goodness of you, O God, the perfect righteousness of our Jesus, Savior, Christ. Lord, let us not take credit, Lord, so that no man may boast except that we boast in Christ. Lord, give us uh, this day a great joy over our Savior. Lord, give us something worth boasting for. And indeed, you have already done that. Your Spirit has testified to us this morning through this text. The Word that became flesh, the goodness of our Savior Jesus Christ, that He is righteous, that He is holy indeed, that He is perfect, and that, Lord, He is well-pleasing. Lord, let us leave here looking less like ourselves and looking more like our Savior. Lord, we ask for your blessing, for the discernment of your word. Lord, we ask that you would uh, so tend to us as a tree, Lord, that we would bear much fruit for your glory and for your honor. Lord, we ask that you bless as well the meal that we are about to partake in the fellowship that we'll have together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.